Today's sermon is the equivalent of writing out a business plan on a napkin at a breakfast meeting. Sometimes those companies go bankrupt. Sometimes they become Facebook. So I guess we'll see what happens this morning. This sermon is a result of, I guess, too much time on my hands. I had a sermon written. I went to practice it like I always do at some point this week, and I was about 38 seconds into it and thought, I'm really bored right now. I'm going to go preach the other sermon that I wrote when I was painting. And uh, this last week as I was praying, and I don't know if it's because I became a father for the second time again, or second time again, I guess the second time. Um, Oh. Whoever clapped was late. We already clapped for me once. It's cool. I love you, though. Um, I don't know if it was that, if it was just having time to think and and listen to worship music for really hours on end. Um, But at one point, I I had to put my paintbrush down and, like, run inside. And um, I grabbed this little piece of paper here and in about seven minutes or so scribbled this out. And I've reevaluated and relooked at it since then. Um, but I wanted to share with you guys what was going on in my mind and my heart when, when I was doing this. And um, the word fear just kept coming up. And I got to this point one morning in my morning devotion I was reading. And I got so uh, almost angry, angry at, at, at seeing another notification pop up on my phone. Uh, of a news article, so angry about watching more posts um, on Facebook, uh, so angry about looking at people's eyes when you go out, because you know, that's all you can see, and, and, and so angry at, at what seems like this overwhelming fear crippling people, a, a type of fear that, that doesn't know what's okay anymore and what's not, what am I allowed to do and what am I, you know, shouldn't do, and, and even here today, and I understand all of this, and I want you to know that this morning is not an indictment on systems or structures that humans are making in order to try and get through this season that we're in right now the best that they know how. This morning, instead, what I want to do is um, go after what we really need to go after, and not get caught up in um, discussions that are peripheral to what is really going on right now in the culture that we live in. And that is that fear, it seems, is dominating. Over the last six months, those of you who have been around this church, I've pretty much refrained from um, too much speaking on current events. I'll just be honest. Instead, just focusing us in on the mission that we have been called to in Christ and what we had going on in our church and everything else. And, uh, and, and as that is all built over the last week, I, I felt compelled to share with you some things this morning. And so I want to biblically walk you through the progression of thought that I hope will be helpful for you and then give us all some next steps to take as individuals, families, and as a church. I want to start this morning in a verse, John 10, 10, because all of our thinking should always start with Scripture, which is a big part of what we're discussing this morning, that everything has to come back to Scripture, that our thinking and the way we make decisions and how we view the world um, as followers of Christ should be through the lens of Scripture, not the news. 
John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I've been a pastor now for 13 years, I believe. I've never preached on this verse, which is interesting because it's kind of a big one. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The text sets up a clear two-pronged approach to life. There is one that is led by the enemy, Satan. We'll call him by name. And the aim of it is to steal and kill and destroy. And then there is another approach to life that is through Christ that has come to give life and to give life abundantly. And so as I uh, was in prayer this week and thinking about the last six months uh, that we have lived in, all of us have lived in, and I asked myself the question, what seems to be more prevalent right now? Stealing, killing, and destroying or life in all of its abundance? I don't think I even need to answer the question because we're seeing it. We're seeing dreams and businesses destroyed. Hopes that your high school senior had ruined. Disunity all across the board. Fights amongst neighbors, tragic stories. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. To call it by name, it is the work of the enemy. Anything that leads to, to, to these three things, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, is the work of the enemy. It plays itself out in physical ways because there's always a spiritual thing and a practical thing happening. And so what we're not going to do today is debate on how we should handle some of this stuff in the practical. We'll leave that up to the people who have been put into their positions for whatever reason. What we are going to do is deal with the spiritual thing that's going on. The opposite of it is life in all of its abundance. And one of the things that all of us have learned that we didn't even know is that on like February 9th or something, we were living in a state of abundance that was blind to many of us. And now seems much clearer. He Christ has come that they may, that we may have life and have it abundantly. That we might have abundance of relationships. That we might have abundance of joy. That we might have abundance around the things that he has called us to do. What are those things that he has called us to do? So after that idea that there are, there are two approaches here. There's the thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy, and there's Christ who has come to give life and life abundantly. What does the life, uh, abundant life look like? Well, let me give you at least two mandates that are in Scripture. Genesis 2.15 gives us the mandate of work. We don't have time to get into an entire doctrine of work this morning, but one of the, the mandates, God-given mandates to humanity is to work and to provide. That God has placed it in the human heart, that God has mandated that each person work and provide, work and prosper. 
Another mandate that is given in the scriptures in Hebrews 10.25 is that the saints would gather. In fact, it even says, do not neglect the gathering of saints. So two mandates given to humanity in the scriptures, work and provide and gather as a church. Now, let me ask you, over the last six months, has there been anything that has been more attacked than those two things? Has there been anything that has been more disrupted than those two things? Millions who have lost their ability to provide. Many of you afraid can I go to work? Should I go to work? Is it right to go to work? It has been an assault on a God-given mandate to work and provide. And then secondly, what else has been disrupted? The gathering of the saints. In some places, by law, to, to assemble and to meet as instructed in the scriptures. Mark chapter 9. There's this great story, one of my favorite stories to preach on. The disciples are trying to send out a demon that's in an individual. And they're working as hard as they can and they're working as hard as they can and they're doing everything that they know how. And they're like, I saw Jesus do this one time. Let's do that. And other like, I saw Jesus do this one time. Let's do that. And nothing happens. They give effort and effort and effort and effort and there's no movement. There's no shift. Everything keeps going on and the demon keeps wreaking havoc in this person. And then all of a sudden Jesus shows up from where he was and he gets there and Jesus dispels the demon. And they go, what happened? Why couldn't we do this? And Jesus looks and says, this one's in too deep. This one can only come out through prayer. And another text says, and fasting. The, the, the spirit's in too deep, Jesus said. This, 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 this attack is so powerful. This attack, your, your normal tactics aren't going to work. This one can only come out through prayer. In other words, if you want to win this battle, you're going to have to heighten your attack against it. And I'll just speak for myself when it comes to my own life, every facet of it, whether it was this church or, or business adventures or anything else that I feel like, and I'm sure many of you do, just completely on the defensive. Can we survive? Can we survive? Can we survive? Can we survive? I'm wondering when the trigger goes on that says, it's time to go on offense against the actual enemy. Like I'm tired of thinking and getting caught up into traps that my kids are never gonna know what, what a healthy, normal life looks like. Because y'all have thought it. That there are things lost that'll never come back again. That all we have to do is sit here and we can keep trying method after method after method and I understand why people are trying these methods and it seems to be making no progress. 
And maybe it's time for all of us just to realize the spirit is in too deep. If we want to fight something that is a spiritual battle, then let's start fighting it with spiritual weapons. That it's, it's time to go on offense. See, Ephesians proves this point. Ephesians 6.12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle. And the, the enemy's greatest tactic in any spiritual battle is fear. You know how I know that? Because the last 36 hours, I've had incredible fear about preaching a sermon on fear. The real battle happening is spiritual. And spiritual battles are won with spiritual weapons. A few years ago, I preached a sermon called The Rules of Reversal. And then I preached a whole sermon series on it. It's based on Esther 9.1. I'm going to try to say this from memory. If I don't, then, you know, I'll just butcher it. But now in the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and the 13th day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to go out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred, and the Jews gained mastery over them. It's one of those little gems in the Old Testament. And see, what it says is that oh, there was a day when, when the enemy was supposed to win, but on the day when the enemy was supposed to win, the reverse occurred and the, the Jews, the people of God, won instead. And so what I did in the sermon, and then what I did in the whole sermon series, is I just went back to the beginning of Esther and asked myself, well, what were the things that happened between the moment the enemy had um, set its sights on the Israelites and the moment the reversal occurred, and are there principles that you could pull out of that? And there were five of them. And the first one is to find the one person who can help. If you remember the story, it's when Esther, uh, sorry, it's when Mordecai goes to Esther because she was in a strategic position. And that's where that line for such a time as this comes. It was the first step in the rule of reversal that she was the one person who could help. And so then it began the process. And step two was to gather the group. And step three was to pursue God with intensity, to fight a spiritual battle. Step four was to um, walk in faith and wisdom. And then step five was the trust that the king is good. So here we sit as a nation, certainly, but then as a church family, I'm not gonna worry about the whole country. We got enough to worry about right here. In the midst of a spiritual battle, what do we do? Well, let's follow the rules. So we're in step two right now. Gather the group. Boom, we did it. Good work. Step three, pursue God with intensity. Friends, I think it's time for us as a church body to identify, as we've already said, that there's a spiritual battle. And by the way, what does that look like? It looks like fear. 
It looks like worry. It looks like anxiety. It looks like sleepless nights. It looks like disunity and division where there previously was relationship. It looks like fighting over earthly tactics and things. This is what the spiritual battle looks like. And we think it's a practical battle, but it's a spiritual thing underneath that's stirring it all up. So to pursue God with intensity then, this step three, this is what I'm challenging each of us to. 19 days. So you'd be like, why'd you pick 19? I think you understand why I picked 19. 19 days. 19 days of faith over fear. 19 days. Here's what I want us to do in these 19 days. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to go on offense. And we're going to pray through a lot of the things that I'm teaching this morning. By the way, I'll be on Facebook Live every morning at 7.30 for the next 19 days, starting tomorrow morning, so you can join me on that. Or we'll email it out. And I'm going to have specific prayers that we're going to pray together as a church body. To go on offense in a spiritual battle. Step four in the rules of reversal is to um, proceed or to walk with wisdom and faith. So let's talk about that for a second. What does it look like? First thing. First thing. Step one in that. is to no longer be afraid. To no longer be afraid. Let me give you a couple verses. This one you've probably seen all over. Some of you are already saying it in your mind. I haven't taught on this one in these last few weeks. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. You know that word fear in there is, uh, that particular word fear is only used once in the scriptures. It's a word that mostly means cowardice. And what it particularly means is cowardice in the face of spiritual battle. It means to, uh, it doesn't mean to, uh, um, to be reckless. It doesn't mean that, 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 that because there's no fear, then I should just be reckless and I should go do whatever I want. Yesterday when I was doing yard work, I got stung by bees three different times. I have not been stung by a bee in a very long time. I remember that it hurts. I could say, I'm not afraid of bees. I could pray the bees away. If I go back to do the yard work there, what's going to happen? I'm going to get stung by a bee. Just saying I'm not afraid of bees doesn't do anything. There's wisdom to apply. But the verse and the heart of it is this, to not be afraid of spiritual battle, to not be afraid of it. Why? Because we have been given instead a spirit of power, love, and self-control. 
One says sound mind. In other words, we've been given a spirit of power, of love, one for another. You see how this verse brings everything in together? It's saying you have been given power, you have been given love, so what you do and how you act should encompass the unity of the body of Christ. You've been given power, you've been given love, and you've been given sound mind, which basically means wisdom. So you've been given power, you've been given wisdom, and it should be applied in a way that is loving. But you should not be afraid to go fight the spiritual battle. Zephaniah 3.17 says it this way, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. The first step in uh, in proceeding through this is, is to no longer be afraid. Is to, is to uh, as one text says, to gird yourself up or to, uh, as we would say in modern language, to psych yourself up or to gear yourself up and to say enough is enough. The thief has stolen, has killed, and has destroyed enough. And I'm not going to just sit back and do nothing anymore. It's time to fight a spiritual battle. And here's the good news. You're not fighting it alone. Now we got a team of people that are going to do it together. And as we fight it, step one, we're not going to be afraid. Step two, we are going to trust in the promises of God as we do it. Psalm 12, 6, the Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. In other words, it means that nothing can take or steal the promise, which is good news because I got some good promises for you this morning. In fact, I got five of them. And I think they're apropos for the season that we're in. Matthew 6.30. Is anyone else tired of hearing over and over and over how much worry and anxiety are destroying people? It's everywhere we look. It's a plague. You don't talk about a pandemic. That's a pandemic. It's everywhere, crippling people. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Command from Christ, do not worry. Then in verse 30, he gives the promise. Promise number one, by the way, is provision. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Earmuffs, if you're too sensitive. The presence of worry is the absence of faith. The presence of worry is the absence of faith. Oh, you have little faith. Promise number one is provision. That God is going to provide for his children. That he's going to take care of you. And so for those right now who are overcome with worry, about the bills, about the job, about the business, about the whatever it might be, let me remind you of an irrevocable promise of God. He will provide. 
Promise number two, power. 1 John 4, 4. Oh, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Okay, I was going to get there eventually. Power. When you're fighting a battle that you think you can't win, it's scary. And the problem is some of us might still think in here that we can't win. You can win. He already did win. We walk in victory, not defeat. You have all of the power that you need for the battle in Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Whatever is uh, seeming to dominate in the world, it submits itself to Jesus in his name and authority. Promise number two, power. Promise number three, peace. Isaiah 26, three through four, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord your God for he is an everlasting rock. Peace. Do you have peace right now? Do you have peace right now in your life? Peace regardless of circumstances. By the way, let me give you a definition. I wrote this definition at 3.30 this morning. I woke up. It was in my mind, so I turned over and scratched it into my iPad. Fear is the emotional response to your present circumstances that distorts both current and future reality. Let me read it again. Fear is the emotional response to your present circumstances that distorts both current and future reality. Fear is Reagan screaming in her bed when we make her take a nap because of the um, light um, canceling blinds that we put in her room and it's so dark that she just screams and then I run up there. She says, there's a shadow in the room. There's, there's a monster in the closet. It's a silly example, but fear is the emotional response to your present circumstances that distorts both current and future reality. Why? Because in that moment, in Reagan's mind, there is a monster in the room. What is faith? Faith is the unwavering commitment to the truth of God's word that stabilizes both your heart and your mind regardless of your present circumstances. Faith is the unwavering commitment to the truth of God's word that stabilizes both your heart and your mind regardless of your present circumstances. That's faith. Faith says, I don't care what's in front of me. I don't care what I see. I don't care what I hear. I trust God's word. Faith is, Isaiah 26, 3 through 4 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. In other words, when I lose peace in my life, it's because I have taken my eyes off of Jesus. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So when your circumstances get out of control or the world's circumstances get out of control, it is your mind's eye focused on Christ that keeps the peace. Also, I love it that it says you keep him in perfect peace. He keeps us in peace. I don't have to fabricate my own peace. I just got to look at Jesus and he'll keep me in it. So promise number three is peace. Peace. Promise number four, 
4. My voice is cracking, and I have a zit the size of a beach ball on my chin. It's right here. You guys have already seen it. I don't have to tell you. I'm 12 again. <sighs> Promise number four. Psalm 91, 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Promise number four is protection. Promise number four is protection. God's protection. Now let's just speak the obvious. Because some of you are thinking right now, so does that mean that if I pray enough, I can't get COVID? Does that mean if, 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 if something bad happens to me that God um, isn't protecting me anymore? Does that mean that bad things aren't going to happen if I'm in Christ? Does that mean if I have enough faith that nothing bad will ever happen? I can't remember how I've set these questions up, but the answer to all of those questions is, of course it doesn't mean that. Christ himself said, in this world there will be trouble. He also then goes on to say, but I have overcome the world. What does this verse mean? It is mean that the sovereign power of God is always present in your life. Always present in your life. We can't get into the massive question of why do bad things happen to good people. And I'm not going to sit here today and fill you with a lie. I am going to tell you that I pray every single day for the protection of God over myself, over my family, and over each and every one of you. And I pray that prayer in faith. And you know what I also pray? But your will, not my will, be done. That I can also trust God's sovereignty in the midst of anything. But the promise of protection is there as an anchor for our soul. Promise number five. Jesus says it in Matthew 28, I will be with you always. Promise number five is the presence of Christ with you at every moment. So let me just recap those real quick for you, just in case you're trying to understand as you go into this spiritual battle that you no longer have to be afraid. Why? Because you can trust the promises of God, his provision, his power, his peace, his protection, and his presence. You're not walking into battle ill-equipped. You're walking into battle, into spiritual battle with all of those promises behind you. So after we're no longer afraid, after we settle that in our heart, after we say we're going to trust God's promises, what do we do next? We walk in faith. We walk in faith in an unwavering commitment to God's truth regardless of our present circumstances. What does that look like? Psalm 43.3 says it this way. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Send out your light and your truth. This is Psalm 43.3. Send out your light and your truth. You know what his light and his truth is? It's his Holy Spirit and it's his scriptures. In other words, it's saying, Lord, you, um, through your spirit and through your scriptures, lead me. Let that clear the way. I'm going to follow you in your spirit and in your scriptures into a place of worshiping you with my life. That's what it means to walk in faith. 
To walk in faith then is I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I want to be instructed by your Holy Scriptures, all of them. And I'm going to let that be the thing that leads my life. I'm not going to let the news, I'm not going to let um, other ideas or as Paul says, calls them empty philosophies. I'm not going to let um, um, empty thinking. I'm not going to let wrong thinking. I'm not going to let other things control my thinking. I'm going to let your spirit and your word um, dictate how I think and how I proceed. Part of that, by the way, is anchoring yourself in the truth of these scriptures. Anchoring yourself in his provision and his peace and his power in these things. You know what else it is to walk in faith? Psalm 24. May he grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. I've spoken on this verse before as one of those verses that sometimes we go, am I allowed to pray that one? May he grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. But most of you know Psalm 37, 4, take to, or delight yourself in the Lord's, oh, no, I'm messing it up. Basically, as your desires align with his heart, he delivers. Psalm 24, may he grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. How many of us have taken what God had planted in our hearts and just set it aside and said, I guess I was wrong. You've let fear overcome it. You've let the anxiousness of the world, you've let the, the worriness that's all floating around come in and distort what you know God had called you to. And you've set it aside. Walking in faith is saying, God, grant the heart's desires that you placed in my heart. Help me to step back up. Help me to rise back up and to believe again that you're still as powerful as you were. Now, as I begin to read some of this, some of you begin to think things like, can we be this confident in Christ? Can we be this bold in Christ? Let me give you a couple of reasons why I'm pretty sure you can. First, it is said of the church that we are given the authority to loose things and to bind things. To loose things on earth so that they might be loosed in heaven, to bind things on earth so that they might be bound in heaven. The staggering thing about this passage is that the work actually starts on earth and goes up to heaven before coming back down. In other words, that for certain things to be loosed and bound is required of us to pray, to actually fight and wage the battle. That scripture starts off by saying we're two or three. Well, there are more than two or three here. So that one is a check. Another verse that gives me great hope in thinking, what role can I possibly pay in, uh, play in, in fighting the spiritual battle that is happening in this crippling fear that is taking on? What possible role can I play is in James when it says, the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. And that particular passage is talking about Elijah. And it's a moment in the New Testament when they look at an Old Testament character who we often look and we think those Old Testament characters are like superhuman, supernatural, super this, super that. They didn't even have the gospel yet. They didn't even have the indwelt Holy Spirit yet. And so if James is saying that the prayers of a righteous person availeth much, let me give news to you and to me. We're made righteous in Christ, which means our prayers can availeth much. And so the example given there is Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. And then Elijah prayed that it would rain and it did rain. And that is the example that a New Testament author gives for how much power and prayer you and I have in the name of Christ. 
The example given is that he prayed a drought in for three years. Now, we either believe that the Bible is inspired and God wanted him to use that example or we don't. But I think what the point is, is that the prayers of a righteous person availeth much and you, if you're in Christ, have been made righteous. Which means your prayers can make a difference. Our prayers collectively can make a difference. Just in case you're not with me yet, let me give you one more. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Actually, let me take a step back just so you guys understand the context. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his, Jesus' feet. When I was young, I grew up singing this song, the devil is under my feet. And then we would do this for a while and we would keep singing, the devil is under my feet. And what it was reminding us is that when we are in the church ruled by Christ, that he has been given all authority over all things, including every tactic of the enemy. And if you'll take me back to the beginning, or if you'll follow me back to the beginning, the level of fear that is present right now in people's lives, in your life, the worry, the anxiety, when you see it in people's eyes, when you're in the checkout line, when you're driving your car, when you're reading the news, when you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, that is a tactic of the enemy. And Jesus is over the enemy. And I'm just fed up believing or maybe not believing that I can do anything about it. The prayers of a righteous person availeth much. Start praying, guys. It's time to go on offense. I've got desires in my heart and plans that I want to see happen in my life. And I'm not letting the enemy take them. And so do you. So start praying them back. So that's what gives me hope to fight this battle. The other day I was reading Psalm 47. Almost there. You guys, uh, I watched uh, a lot of golf when I was growing up. And uh, I, I still remember the 97 Masters. Some of you are like, the only thing that's more boring than golf is a story about golf. <laughs> well, give me a moment. The 97 Masters is when Tiger Woods set every single record. I mean, it was unbelievable. And early on in the tournament, you would watch Tiger make a good shot, and Tiger was still somewhat of an unknown then. And um, he would get the, the two-finger golf clap early in the tournament. You guys know the, the two-finger golf clap? If you know it, can you just can you give it for me a little bit? It's like, it's like that. It's okay. okay. Now, 
by like Saturday, people were starting to kind of, you know, like, this is interesting. What's this guy doing? Okay. And so then it would be like, like, like the, not just the two finger, but the real golf clap, which is like, so you'd be watching the tournament, right? You got all of these people in their nice colored polos. Okay. Watching this 21 year old shatter every single record and he'd make this putt and there'd be this Then he'd get up to the next hole, and he'd be on Amen Corner, which it's called Amen Corner because you have to say a prayer to get through it without ruining the tournament. And he nails shot after shot after shot, and then there's the crowd, and they're looking, and they're going. And you'd see some 70-year-old look at his 70-year-old buddy, you know, and go, not bad, not bad. Like, not bad. He's making Jack Nicholas look like an amateur. Then you get to Sunday. This is the famous Sports Illustrated cover, if you've seen it. It's when wearing red on Sunday became a thing. And Tiger's marching on. And now at this point, there's no one who's even close in competition. No one's going to be able to beat him. But at this point, it's can he beat the record? Can he shatter the record? And by late on Sunday, when Tiger's on the 18th green looking at a putt that's going to just break every record ever known, and he hits it. And you, that was in the moment when, like, this was created, okay? Like, if you've ever seen, like, the tiger, this, whatever, that's when it was created, in that moment. And as you see Tiger doing this in the background anymore, they're not doing this. You've got these, like, old stodgy millionaires in the background with their hands in the air going, ah! Like they forgot that they're one percenters and they're at Augusta. <laughs> like something finally broke in them and it was a 21-year-old playing golf that they lost all sense of sensibility and threw their hands up and said, this is awesome. In Psalm 47, it says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Sometimes we, we look at God, or I can look at my own life, and I can say, man, four years and a couple months ago, I remember sitting in my basement, sobbing, wondering what was going to become of my life. Six months later, I was doing church with some of you. I was married to my incredible wife. And my tendency in the moment was to look at some of my stuff in the past and to see what was there and go, thank you, God. And then a couple months later, to my glee and my wife's horror, she walked out of the bathroom and said, I'm pregnant. And I said, <laughs> maybe it's just having another son. Maybe it's, or child, maybe it's, someone's like, wait, what? 
Lindsay, there's no other kids. I promise. <laughs> Maybe it's having another kid. Maybe it's walking in this auditorium and seeing it repainted and looking incredible. Maybe it's getting texts from you guys of encouragement this week. Maybe it's just watching the faithfulness of God accumulate into this moment where when, when the world is cowering in fear and playing defense, we're asking questions like, should we make the largest purchase in the history of our church? Can we secure a bank loan? Can we raise money in July in the midst of COVID? And God's saying, yep, yep, yep. And now I'm looking at where we're at right now with a relaunch coming up in a month and the enemy's saying, bad idea, bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. No one's spending money on marketing right now. No one's doing this right now. Bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. And all I can do is look back over the last four years at the enemy and say, whoa, you lost. And it's not my victory. It's his and it's all of ours. And so I'm wondering if in your life right now, if there's some things in your life, even in the midst of everything that's going on, if your tendency sometimes is just to go like this, When something spectacular happens, you go like this. But I wonder if maybe this morning is just kind of like a, a call to action. To say, hey, we're going on offense band. Y'all can come up now. I don't know what we're going to play, but just play something. I can sincerely tell you I have no idea what time it is and I don't care. No one under 16 is clapping. Is that, I don't know who that is, but all right. Will you stand with me? What are we playing? Oh, it's a beautiful name. Clap your hands, all peoples. God with loud songs of joy. Some of you are nervous clapping. Shout for God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High. For the Lord the Most High. He is to be feared. 
is only one thing, one power, one authority in your life that deserves fear, and it's him. So from this day forward, as a church, as a people, as individuals and families, we are no longer afraid. We will walk in wisdom, and we will walk in faith, and we will fear one thing, the beautiful name of Jesus. Let's sing. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.